<laughs> All right, Exodus 34, second book of your Bible. Hey, so we've got three studies left in the book of Exodus because we're going to jump ahead. Once we finish 34, we have repetition uh, in chapters 35 through 39 where we, we saw Moses get instructions about the tabernacle. Now the people build the individual items. We're not going to go back over that. So we'll skip to chapter 40 uh, after this study tonight. We'll have two more studies in Exodus, so that will complete that. I know some of you were wondering, you know, we've been preaching since 1978 in the book of Exodus. <laughs> when is it over? Some of you are ready. Okay, so there's only three studies, including tonight, left. That will take us to Advent. We'll be focusing on Christmas messages, and then in the new year, we'll begin a new book on Wednesday night. So that's just an FYI. Exodus 34, we'll complete the chapter tonight with unveiled faces is the text. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand one more time? It's a short passage, but we'll stand for the reading of God's word. 34, 27 in Exodus reads this way. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down these words, 34, 27, for in accordance with these words, I've made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him or with God. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses, 31, called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Thank you for the fact that it is alive. It's living and powerful. Whatever you want to say to us, give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to your church in this hour. We pray over our nation. We pray over your church in this nation. We pray for revival, and we pray that it would start with us right now, right here. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat with unveiled faces is the title of the message. There's commentary on... Exodus 34, the section that we just read in 2 Corinthians 3. We'll be turning there uh, at the end of the message, just an FYI. So you can see that the Lord said to Moses, write down these words. Moses was up on the mountain. We see in verses 27 and 28, 40 days and 40 nights. This is the second time that Moses has had a 40-day stent up in the presence of God. We know in a previous study that Moses had asked to see God's glory, and the Lord said, no one can see my face and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock, and my beauty or all my goodness will pass by you. And we talked about how Moses experienced the afterglow of God's glory. 
We have not seen up until this point Moses be affected by the presence and glory of God to this extent that his face was shining. And we'll dig that out in a moment. But after this second 40-day stint, for whatever reason, and I don't understand all the reasons, I don't know if it was the elongated uh, time that Moses was with the Lord or whatever it may be, there's a lot of conjecture about exactly the cause and what was going on. But I will just say this, Moses was shining when he came down the mountain. What was he doing for 40 days and 40 nights? We know that on this occasion he was fasting And we know he was writing down the words because in verse 27, he's instructed to write down the words. That is the words of the covenant. Remember, he had smashed the uh, tablets coming down that first time after 40 days and 40 nights because they were in front of the golden calf, the people were. And they were worshiping it and giving credit to it and praising it. And Aaron had, you know, been at the middle of that and he got confronted and there was a really ugly scene. 3,000 people died on that day because of the sin of Israel. And there was a whole question that was lingering over the nation. And the question was this, will God go with us? Are we going it alone? Will, he, will we have the same type of relationship that we had with him when we made that marriage covenant at the foot of Mount Sinai? And that issue hovered, and now the covenant is being, you could say, renewed or reinstituted. Notice it says, for in, a, in accordance with these words, part B, verse 27, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Perhaps we could say the covenant's being renewed here. And so he was there with the Lord, Moses was, 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat bread or drink water. Now, it's one thing to not eat something for 40 days, but you can't live without drinking for, I think it's about a week or so. And so supernaturally, somehow, Moses was being preserved. The New Testament parallel to the 40 days and 40 nights of Moses up on the mountain is Jesus's temptation in the wilderness before Satan, and there he did not eat for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus is the greater Moses. We'll talk about that in a moment. But you can see here that Moses is up on the mountain, and he wrote, uh, he wrote on the tablets, end of 28, Uh, the words of the covenant, and then specifically we're told the 10 words or the 10 commandments. So here the covenant is being reinstituted. And the question that hovered over the nation is that God is going to renew the covenant and you're not going to go it alone. And any nation that's ever had a relationship with Yahweh, uh, if there was any danger of ever not having him in our lives, I, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, what would it be like if you didn't have God in your life? What would it be like if you, 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 know, you knew what it was to be born again and now no longer was his presence in your life? But there's also a national aspect to that. And there have been people over the last couple decades, prominent teachers who have been going through Romans chapter one and asking the question, is there some point at which God will abandon a nation because of a nation's national sins? And that is a question that we must wrestle with. Um, God is so gracious, though. We can see his graciousness right here. We know the church is all over the world. We know we are not a theocracy, so it's a different time. But Moses gives us a little insight in Deuteronomy. If you flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 9 as to why he was fasting. 
And let me just, I'm just going to touch on the idea of fasting for a moment. There are a number of reasons why you might fast. One is to lose weight. But even that, I understand that that's not the best approach to weight loss. Although I will say if you don't eat, you are going to lose weight. Y'all know that? There is a one-to-one correspondence between calorie intake and weight. I have figured that out. It's taken me a while, but anyway. So in Deuteronomy chapter 9, we get the reason why Moses was fasting. Look at verse 17. Now, this is later, and Moses is recounting these events later in his life. So he says, I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. 9.17 of Deuteronomy. And I fell down before the Lord at the fir- as at the first 40 days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Why? Because of all your sin, which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. Skip over to Deuteronomy 10. Look at verse 10. I moreover stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights like the first time. So we know there was at least two times this happened. And the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was not willing to destroy you. Now you can see, if you turn back to Exodus, the mediatorial or mediation of Moses as he cries out to God for mercy on the nation. And the Lord listens to him. And part of that was Moses fasted before the Lord. Now, we talk about fasting and we talk about when a person fasts and you should, if you've never fasted before, you should get input from others who have done it. Make sure you get, you know, medical input if you need that. Some of you have sugar issues and and other things. You can't just right away just say, I'm not going to eat for 24 hours. You got to be wise about this. But in the Bible, fasting, generally speaking, is to push down the voice of the flesh I want, I need, I want, I need. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And to elevate the things of the Spirit. And pastors over the years have said that if you're going to fast, replace the time that you would eat with time in the Word or time in prayer. If you would spend money on lunch, perhaps you would give that to the work of the kingdom of God, however you would decide to do that. But those are some things to think about. And if you've never done this before, you might want to just start with a meal. And maybe you would fast breakfast or lunch and replace that with getting into your Bible and saying, Lord, I'm here. Perhaps it is because you want to repent of something. Perhaps it is because you are struggling over a decision. Uh, Should I go this way? Should I go that way? Lord, what is your will for my life? Maybe you have been interceding for the nation. Uh, This would be a good time to fast before an election right now. Um, Do you get extra brownie points from God because you fast? It's not so much if you fast, it's why you fast. In Isaiah chapter 58, God says, on the day of your fast, you're brawling with your brother. Your fasting means nothing if you're just doing it out of some sort of religious duty. But if your heart is to see change in you, and change in the nation, if your desire is to elevate the things of the spirit above the things of the world and the flesh, 
and you decide not to eat because your desire is to please the Lord and not please somebody else, not show off to somebody, not tell people about your exploits. I didn't eat for 16 hours. Unbelievable. Well, that's not what this is about. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, there are ways to do it. And it's not to have a sunken face or to blow a trumpet when you give and all that stuff. You guys have read those passages before. It's because you want to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? And so when Moses was before the Lord, he didn't eat and he didn't drink. And somehow God supernaturally sustained him. But I want you to see something very important. This is the intercessor or the mediator. Why did Moses do it? Did he do it for him? No, the Lord had told him, just step, step back. I'll wipe everybody out and I'll start over with you. And you can lead the Mosesites. It'll be a new nation. Forget about the Israelites. You'll be the Mosesites or whatever it might be. And Moses said, no, Lord, and do you know why? Because Moses was concerned about God's reputation and what the people of Egypt might say or the other nations might say. When your desire is to see the glory of God and the good of others, your life will change. When your desire is to see the glory of God and the good of others, your life will begin to fall into place because you'll be doing what Jesus said which is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then here's another piece of the puzzle. He'll add everything else unto you. And you won't have to worry. In fact, when Moses walks down this mountain, do you know that he's shining and he doesn't even know it? And perhaps for some of us tonight, when we start to spend more time in kingdom business with the king, we will shine and maybe we won't realize the impact we're making. So it came about 29, back in Exodus 34, when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone. If you have an NIV, it says it was radiant because it gives us the reason why, because of his speaking with him or God. And so when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near to him. Now, Moses coming down from the mountain is holding the two tablets. And we've all seen depictions of this. And some people believe that the two tablets represent, you know, our responsibilities to God and our responsibilities to man. Uh, that we're to honor the Lord, have no idols in our lives, keep holy the Sabbath day, etc. Not take his name in vain. And then the second table would include honoring our parents and not murdering and stealing and lying and all that. And that's one view. But most scholars who know information about ancient covenants say that each table probably was the same thing. One for one party and one for the other party. This is how ancient covenants work. When you had a marriage contract, which is called a ketubah in Hebrew, 
The idea is that there would be covenant responsibilities given to the one and the other who had made the commitment to each other. Moses representing God, the other one for the people. You know that the table, the tablets were eventually put in the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that was one of three things that was put in the Ark. So it may well be that instead of the four and the six or the five and the five of the ten to responsibilities to God and to man or my neighbor, rather it was duplicate copies of the law. Uh, that's quite possible. That's what many uh, commentators would tell us or scholars would tell us. So Moses has been up there 40 days, 40 nights. He hasn't eaten anything. He spent all this time in the glory of God. And then we learn something about Moses' appearance. We have not seen this before. And Moses didn't even know it, but the skin of his face was shining. The Hebrew literally says, the skin of his face sent out horns. That sounds a bit bizarre, doesn't it? This is one commentator. It says, early translations such as the Vulgate, that's the Latin Vulgate, typically translated this literally and described Moses as having horns. This explains why medieval and Renaissance artists such as Michelangelo typically depicted the prophet with horns on his head. But the expression actually refers to rays of light. Let me just say that this in the Hebrew idea, this may be somewhat of a play on words because what got the Israelites in trouble was bowing down to what? A golden calf. So some see some sort of ironic parallel in the way that Moses is shining. Maybe, you know, sometimes we've seen people who are depicted with a halo over their head and it's like beams of light are coming from their head. And that may be some of what is going on here in the original language. Some see it as taking us back to Exodus 32 as a reminder of what the people of Israel did. And it's something like this. Could This is my own take on this. If this is a, the right connection with the language, it's something like this. Could an idol ever make you shine like Moses is shining right now? The golden calf can't do it. It's put together by the hammer of a person, it, you know, taking the jewelry of the people. It means nothing. It gets you in trouble. It gives you a tummy ache because you get to drink the water that it was ground into the powder. You guys remember, right? But when you spend time in the presence of the Lord, it's totally different. We'll read in 2 Corinthians 3 that will you move from one degree of glory to another? as we spend time basking in the presence of our God. We're like that city on the hill. We're a light that shines to people. People see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. Moses did not even know that he was shining. And you may be asking, well, what, what exactly, what was, what was going on in Moses' face? Well, the expression actually refers to rays of light as a result of his face-to-face -face encounter with God, Moses had some sort of halo of glory or dazzling beams of light that were actually shining out from his face. And this wasn't a good suntan or, you know, we might say, oh, that person is glowing. And what we mean by that is, oh, they look so happy today or cheerful or they must have had two cups of coffee because normally they don't look like that. But that's not what's going on here. This is not a metaphor or a, a figure of speech to say Moses is happy or content or he's looking forward to some pancakes or whatever. 
That's not what's going on here. Moses is literally radiating the glory of God. So much so that the people are afraid of him. And the beams of light are coming out from his face. And he doesn't even know it. Some scholars have suggested since when God comes down on Mount Sinai, it looks like fire on the mountain. And the burning bush is literally, the bush burning looks like fire. That maybe his face is on fire. Which seems like radical and extreme but maybe looks to them as if he's on fire. We like to say when Christians are really walking with the Lord, that gal, that guy is on fire. Can you imagine walking into a room and you look like your face is literally on fire? You might freak some people out. We talk about being a light to our world. That's, that's one way to get people's attention, right? There's a story in the book of Acts that you guys will remember. Stephen was the first martyr in the early church. And Stephen was falsely accused in Acts chapter 6 of speaking against Moses, speaking against the law, etc. And he stood before the council. And it says that when they looked at him, his face, Acts 6.15, looked like the face of an angel. Now, I don't know what the face of an angel looks like. I mean, we know that when angels show up at the tomb and show up in the birth narratives as we'll study coming into Christmas. They're real shiny if you like veggie tales, right? So why are, why are angels shiny? Because they spend time in the presence of God. They have what we might call uh, reflected glory. People have compared it to the sun and the moon. The moon reflects the light of the sun. So it's the moon's light is not from itself, it reflects the light of the sun. And believers, and we would include Moses here, this is a unique moment, but believers reflect the light of Jesus in our lives. Amen? So we have reflected light. So let me just give you a practical um, application. There are, there's question marks around what was happening with Moses' face and scholars, based upon the commentary in 2 Corinthians 3, which we'll turn to in a moment, believe that one possible um, interpretation of what happened with Moses is that when he left God's presence, and remember, he's not going to really go up on Sinai again, but he'll be in the tent of meeting with God and meet with him regularly and then come out. So it's possible, this is one view, that Moses' Face began to ebb in its illumination. That is, it began to fade. And so one view is that Moses put the veil on uh, so that the children of Israel would not see the glory ebbing or fading away. And that is a possible way to see the language in 2 Corinthians 3. I'm not sure that's the right interpretation, but it's interesting. And here's the application I was thinking of. If we don't spend time with the Lord, what happens to us? Well, if we spend time in the presence of God, in worship, in Bible study, in fellowship, in prayer, we know what happens, right? We come out more filled up, more filled with the light of God, and we shine more. There's just no doubt about it. There's a little story that I've shared over the years, and this couple goes to France, and they get this matchbox, and the matchbox is supposed to uh, glow in the dark. And so they, they put it in a dark room, and 
you know, they just put it on the table and it doesn't do anything. And so they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the thing. And they realized there was an inscription in French and it said, if you want me to shine in the night, keep me in the light. In other words, the thing wasn't gonna work unless you kept it by some light and then it would shine in the darkness. Here's the point. And I think it's, it's clear, isn't it? The more time we spend in the presence of the Lord seeking his face, the more our face shines. If we don't do that, we do something else called walking in the flesh. <laughs> and we end up really not shining or not shining to the degree that we would had we spent more time with the Lord. So I'm glad you're here tonight. A lot of other things you could be doing. But Moses was shining coming down from that hill. And here's another thought that I had for you. And he didn't even know what was happening, which just by way of insight means it wasn't hurting him. It wasn't like a bad sunburn or he felt fire on his face or he felt hot. No, none of that. He didn't even know what was going on. The people saw it in Moses, but Moses didn't know it. And here's a second application. When you are shining for the Lord, you may not know the impact you're having on other people's lives. But by simply having, and I shouldn't say simply, this is profound, but by having the Holy Spirit living inside of you and spending time with the Lord, there's going to be a reflected light that comes out of your life that you may not realize what's happening. And sometimes we don't always feel it, right? So we're like, well, did I really live for the Lord today? Was I, did I do the right things? Did I make an impact? But the truth is that just spending time in God's word and in prayer and in worship, there is an inevitable impact in your life. You may not know it, but other people will see it. And I think that that's something just to remember, even if uh, you don't always realize the impact that you're having. And so Moses was a glow. Mo was a glow, and he didn't even know. How do you like that? Now, I do think that we need to be spiritually recharged as much as possible. Uh, the, the main idea here is the word glory, that the glory of God was showing on the face of Moses. We'll see that in 2 Corinthians 3. And the word for glory in Hebrew, let me remind you, it's doxa in Greek, D-O-X-A, as we transliterate it. And in Hebrew, it's kavod. And if you're interested, it's K-A-V-O-D, kavod. Now, if you study the ancient picture language, what Moses would have written, kavod means this, to open the door within. That's the word for glory. It has the idea of what's weighty, substantive, uh, heavy, we might say. You know, what we put real true value to, weight to. has the idea of value, weight. But in the original language, it means, get this, to open the door within. Now think about this. When Moses is shining, what did it reflect? It opened a door. What kind of door? Well, it gave people a look at the glory of God. Now, how one responds to the glory of God is a key issue. The glory of God is seen in creation. 
The glory of God is seen in the gospel. The glory of God is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the light shining that enlightens every man, right? We beheld his glory. There's only one other place that it says in the entire Bible that I know of that someone's face shone in that language. Do you know where it is? It's on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. Let's flip over there just for a moment. Matthew 17, we're doing good on time. And this is the famous Mount of Transfiguration. You say, what is that? Well, this is the mountain that Jesus went up and he was transformed in a miraculous way involving light. And uh, we pick it up in 17.2 of Matthew. It says this. Jesus, Matthew 17, 2, was transfigured before them. Peter, James, and John were the ones that were up there. Matthew 17, 2. He was transfigured before them, and what happened? His face shone, same language as Exodus. How? Like the sun. And his garments became as white as light. And get this. And you know who was there? The dude that had experienced his face shining. Because up there was Moses and Elijah. And they were talking with Jesus. We won't get into all the details of that. But skip down to verse 5. While he was still speaking, Peter wanted to make some tabernacles, which he wasn't way off because that's where you house the glory. A bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground. And they, like the Israelites in Exodus, were terrified. And Jesus came to them, touched them, and said, Get up and don't be afraid. Back to Exodus so I don't think that Moses' face looked like the sun shining in its strength. But there's one other account that comes to mind, and it's the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And on the road to Damascus, you guys will remember that when he describes the event of Acts chapter 9, he says that when Jesus appeared to him, his face looked like the sun shining in its strength. Now, if you've ever just looked up at the sun and just, you know, kind of stared at it, you know how powerful the sun can be. And you know what happened to Saul, right? He was blind as a result of that interaction. And he didn't eat anything or drink anything for three days. I'm pretty sure he didn't drink anything. I know he didn't eat anything. The Lord spoke to Ananias. You guys remember the story. Go to this house on the street called Straight. There's a man there named Saul. He's praying and etc. And Ananias has a little dialogue with the Lord. I'm not sure if you're up on current events, Lord, but this is the guy that's persecuting your church. You really want me to go over to his house and ring the bell and ask for a Snickers bar? I mean, what am I supposed to do here? No. He is a chosen instrument of mine and I will show him how much he must suffer for me. So Ananias shows up and he says, Brother Saul, calls him brother. 
the Lord who appeared to you on the road and sent me over to you. And he prays for Saul. Get this. And something like scales fell from his eyes. Saul, who became Paul, had a veil over his heart. He's going to talk about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And that veil fell when he turned to the Lord. And that's what happens whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil falls. See, in Luke 24, when Jesus is talking to the uh, disciples, it says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. There's a way of seeing, a way where the light impacts that's different. Uh, Some of you read the Bible before and you're like, I can't make heads or tails of this. I have no idea what's going on here. And then all of a sudden, something happened to you. Like scales fell off your eyes. And you begin to see it. Well, Moses comes down and he's shining. The people are fearful. And let's just take a look. Uh, they were afraid to come near to him. This is, we're picking up in verse 31, back in Exodus 34. Moses called to them. Aaron, Aaron needed some uh, time, right? Almost like Peter in the New Testament. Aaron needed to be restored. Aaron, all the rulers in the congregation returned to him. There's a key word, brethren. They returned. That's the idea of repentance right there. They returned to him. Remember they had said previously, as to this Moses, we don't know what happened to him. He walked into fire. People don't walk into fire and come out. After all, and it's been 40 days. Where is the dude? Well, here he is. And he's shining. And the people returned to him. And Moses spoke to them, 32. And afterward, all the sons of Israel, now here's you know, what we would say represents the nation now, came near. And he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. Remember, he didn't have a chance to speak what what he had been told because when he came down with the law, what were they doing? They were involved in breaking commandments and he smashed the commands. So now he's coming down, it's take two. Didn't go very well on take one. Take two, here he comes again. Now they're more receptive. Now they turned Return to him. Some of you need to do that tonight. You need to turn back to the Lord. Return. Do the works that you did at first. So when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Why? Well, we know he was shining and we know they were afraid. And some people have said, well, maybe Moses was a bit timid or self-conscious or he didn't want them to see the glory fading away. Those are all conjectures. Some of them are based on some evidence. But I think here's one possibility. Moses knew they were afraid. And there are some scholars that believe that Moses veiled himself to keep judgment away from the people. Because remember... The glory of God, when you look upon, no one can see my face and live. And there were all kinds of warnings about don't let people touch the mountain, don't let them get too close. 
And there, there's one view, I'm just throwing it out, I'm not gonna be dogmatic on it, that it was an act of mercy, that the veil was an act of mercy. Now, you might be asking, now wait a minute, Moses lived a lot longer, so are you telling me that in everyday life this dude walked around with a veil over his face for the rest of his days? I don't think so. I think the veil over his face became the veil in the tabernacle, separating the holy place from the holy of holies. That's just my point of view. But it would be weird, you know, for Moses to be walking through the camp for the rest of his days in everyday life, and a little kid would say, Mommy, why is Moses always wearing a mask? But in our world, it shouldn't surprise any of us. And I'll leave that alone for now. Ed Dennett says, quote, because the very glory that shone upon Moses' face searched their hearts and consciences, being what they were, sinners, and unable of themselves to meet even the smallest requirement of the covenant, which had now been inaugurated. The glory which they thus beheld on the face of Moses was the expression to them of the holiness of God. They were therefore afraid because they knew in their inmost souls they could not stand before him from whose presence Moses had come, close quote. In other words, there's a view among some scholars that this veil was an act of mercy because if the people looked too long upon the holiness glory, perhaps judgment might break out. That's one view. I won't be dogmatic on it. But here's the, this rounds out the picture. Whenever Moses 34 went in before the Lord to speak with him in the tent of meeting, he would take off the veil until he came out. So obviously, he's going in to meet with the Lord. Veil comes off. Whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel, what he had been commanded. So he spends that time with the Lord. The sons of Israel would see the face of Moses. So he didn't come out and put the veil on immediately. He would come out, share the commands whatever the Lord told him, they would see the skin of Moses' face shown. And so Moses then, at some point, I think after the talk or the command, would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with him. And again, how long this went on, I think maybe uh, until the tabernacle is constructed. That's my conjecture, but I don't know for sure. And we're going to finish in 2 Corinthians 3. This is the commentary on Exodus chapters 32 through 34, 2 Corinthians 3. We'll spend a little time um, just expositing a few of these ideas and we're done. 2 Corinthians 3. So whenever you're asking questions about difficult texts, one of the things that you want to do as a student of the Bible is to see if there's any commentary in the Bible on that passage. <laughs> Amen? Very simple approach. Does the Bible say anything about this text that would explain it? Because then I know it's authoritative. If I'm going to commentators, I'm going to other resources, it's people's perspectives. It may be well-reasoned, but you get the point. But if I've got a passage on it, then this will help. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we have a comparison between the Old and New Covenant. And this is verse 6. Paul saying, now, God has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Contrast between the old covenant, you could say the, the law given at Sinai, uh, and then the new covenant in Jesus. 
He's made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not of the letter. The letter speaks of the law, not of the Bible. Just a side note, the letter here is not, someone might say to you, you know what, I just kind of go with the flow and how I feel about things and how the Holy Spirit's leading me. And if the Bible's gonna correct me on something, well, that's just the letter. Wait a minute. <laughs> no, 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 no. The letter here is the law, the old covenant. The letter that's being written here is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So if someone says to you, well, that's just the letter, man. We ain't gonna worry about the letter. I'm feeling this today. Well, what if the Bible says you ought not to be doing that? But I feel that's the letter. <laughs> No, wait a minute. The letter is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen? This Bible does correct us. We don't correct it. So don't buy that whole nonsense. It's a letter. <laughs> That's right. The guy is he's writing the letter. He's talking about the, the old covenant here. Because people didn't have the power to fulfill it. See, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but what happens? The spirit, and you can think of here, the spirit as the new covenant idea, gives life. We could not fulfill the law. The law was a schoolmaster to drive us to Christ. Now he's gonna make some comparisons between the old covenant and the new. From the lesser to the greater, notice. But if the ministry of death, 3-7, in letters engraved on stone, so we can see what he's talking about, came with glory... So that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was. If you have a New King James, it says, which glory was passing away. If you have an ESV, it says, which was being brought to an end. Well, now, here's where the whole debate lies. The, we, the word for fading as it was in the New American Standard is a Greek word called katargeo. And it means to abolish to cease, to destroy, to render idle. Here's one uh, scholar. The verb means to nullify, to get rid of, to terminate, to render ineffective. And the nuance is much stronger than fade or fading. Hence, the glory on Moses' face is transient or transitory glory. Not because its glow gradually diminishes like a flashlight whose battery is running low but because it has now forever been eclipsed and removed by the glory of the ministry of the new covenant. So that's where the debate lies. Was it fading or was it an act of mercy that he put the veil on? And there's conjecture on the Greek word here. But here's what we know. The old covenant got supplanted by the new covenant, which the writer of Hebrews says is a better covenant. Why is it better? Because it doesn't depend on me. Amen? That's what makes it better. You know who it depends on? Jesus. And he already fulfilled it. Thus, I'm in good standing because of the merits of Christ. And therefore, the uh, veil, if you will, doesn't have to reside anymore. I can come into the Holy of Holies by the blood of Jesus. Amen? So how shall the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even with more glory or to be even more with glory? It won't fail because it's dependent upon 
the finished work of Christ and the new covenant being born again in the Holy Spirit. For if the ministry of condemnation, that's the Sinai covenant, has glory, and it did, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. Notice the repetition of the word glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case has no glory on account of the glory that surpasses it or eclipses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. Having therefore such a hope, we use great boldness of speech and are not as Moses, who used to put a veil over his face, 13, that the sons of Israel might not look intently. Here's an insight. They might not stare or gaze at him at the end of what was fading away. The ESV puts it this way, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. We know that the old covenant was going to be supplanted. That's the idea, eclipsed. But their minds were hardened for until this very day at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil, now the metaphor switches to a veil over their heart, remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, first five books, including Exodus, a veil lies where? Over their heart. There's a veil that remains over people's hearts, specifically here, we're thinking of Jewish people, but it would widen out to anybody. They hear the Bible. They hear Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. And we're like, that's the Messiah. He's all over the place here. Don't they see it? And they don't see it. Why don't they see it? Because a veil lies over their heart. What's the cause of the veil? Depends on your view of soteriology. <laughs> Some people say it's there because the Lord put a veil and it's not going to be removed until the Lord takes the veil away. And then other people say, no, the veil is removed when one turns to the Lord. And some people say, it depends on man. And others say, no, it's all on God. And then other people say, no, it's somewhere in the middle. I choose that somewhere in the middle view. But whenever a man does what? Or a woman turns to the Lord, what happens? The veil, you can imagine the apostle Paul here when the scales fell from his eyes. Whenever one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, amen? But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Right now we see in a mirror dimly then face to face, 1 Corinthians 13, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Here's another translation, NIV. And we, with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's the deal. The glory of the new covenant will never be abolished. It will always be increasing. It will always be going from one degree of glory to another. You can keep growing. You can keep getting more light. You can keep becoming more like Jesus. You know why? Because the new covenant's not dependent upon you, but him. And the work is finished. And now it's all about sanctification. 
And the more you spend time in his glorious presence, the more you will go from one degree of glory to another. Has it been happening in your life? You're not the person that you used to be. Now, you may not be exactly where you want to be right now, but you ain't the person, I hope you ain't the person you used to be. Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember how much you knew the baggage you carried into that relationship? And you received the new covenant based upon the finished work of Christ, the blood of Jesus, and you were born again to a living hope. And now God's been doing a work. From one degree of glory to another, ever increasing glory. And sometimes we don't even realize what he's doing in our life. And somebody says, boy, you're kind of shiny today. Can I put on my sunglasses? And you say, you can do that if you want. But I've got some good news for you. There's a light. There's a light that brings hope and life. Do you want to know more about it? And this is what is happening in the greater covenant, the new covenant. Father, Thank you that the righteous one day will shine like the stars of heaven in the kingdom of our Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Oh God, thank you for the new covenant in Jesus. It is a better covenant with better promises. The old covenant was good. It was filled with glory because you are glorious and it was certainly the law came from you. The problem wasn't the law. The problem was me. And so what the law couldn't do, you did in sending your own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He was perfect, without sin, without defect, the spotless lamb of God. He fulfilled the law. He laid down his life as that spotless lamb, purchased us, purchased his bride with his blood. And now we're in the kingdom of God and the glory is becoming more and more ours. And it's not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. We will see him just as he is. Now we see in a mirror dimly. We don't see the full picture. It's not all crystal clear to us. Then, face to face. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.